I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. It's Friday. It's not a happy Friday. It's not a sad Friday. It's a tentative Friday. That's what we're going with. We're tentative. Since you last heard from me, and it was Greg last time, the Celtics have decided that they do want to participate in the playing tournament. It was an opportunity too good to say no to, evidently. Obviously, Jalen Brown getting injured didn't help at all. Then the game against Cleveland, where just everybody decided that it was time to just be hurt for a day. It just hasn't worked out well up until this point. Obviously, I'm generalizing, but we'll get into it. I'm joined by our usual Friday co-host, Mr. Will Weir. What's going on, my guy? Hey, what's going on, Adam, man? It's, uh, you know, all roads lead through Boston in the play-in. You know, home court advantage. Let's go. How do you feel about it? I mean, for me, like, I'm looking at it, and the first thing I asked myself um, when this happened this morning, uh, recording this on Thursday, was like, what does this mean? Like, in terms of for the grand scheme of the play-in, the playoffs, the Celtics roster is currently constructed, what does this actually mean for the guys that, getting checks this year where do they go from here who's going to be here after this season and i understand there's still the playing to go there's still the playoffs to go but there's definitely some questions that i've been asking recently of what is this team lacking what have they got what the uh, a solid foundation where is that foundation what does it kind of reside under is it is it offense is it defense is it playmaking just and for me the, not being able to cement that playing spot understanding that there were so many mitigating factors leading up to this kind of just disappointment has let me kind of sit back and look at where things have gone wrong from a general standpoint when you remove those excuses. And I kind of want to start there and then we'll talk about the plane and we'll talk about how we're going to whoop whoever wants to get in front of us and we'll talk about what happens if we get whooped. But I think from the beginning, like, when you look at this roster, how many names do you want here next year? Like, if we're being completely honest at this point, and then we'll talk about the maybes, and then we'll mm-hmm. move on to talk about actual basketball. But who do you actually want here next year? Yeah, that's a great question. It's you know, I think it's something that throughout this frustrating season, um, which I think is is a pretty appropriate label, is frustrating for this year. You know, I think it's something that that's come up multiple times, and a lot of it started from you know, you look back to the off season. And the Gordon Hayward move is really the domino that started this trickle-down effect here with, you know, completing this roster and bringing this roster to ultimately where we are now at the end of the season, or just about the end of the season, heading into the play-in tournament. And when you look at what's there and who you still want to be there, I mean, for me, the Jays are extremely obvious as guys that I want here and guys should be here long-term. That's very easy. Um, you know, I think Evan Fournier is actually a guy that's jumping to the front for me for a guy that I would like to see here a little bit longer. You know, I was a little skeptical on the, on the move just because of all the buildup around the TPE and, and Evan Fournier was always a guy that was an option, but he just wasn't the sexiest option. I mean, even on his own former team, there were two other guys that were more heavily rumored and probably, you know, would have been more desirable. So that's why I don't think he was, you know, had as much fanfare, but I've really liked the way Evan Fournier's performed and fits in with this team. He's someone I'd like to see here. You know, Aaron Neesmith is a guy that's clearly showing a lot of potential. I'm a huge fan of everything Aaron Neesmith's done to show progression throughout this year. Rob Williams, if he can stay healthy, absolutely a guy that I would love to have around. After that, I think you start to get to some more question marks of, you know, Marcus Smart. I think, yes, but also I'm not afraid to move on from a guy like Marcus Smart. 
Kemba Walker. That salary's huge. He's been, you know, inconsistent. He's been better at times and certainly lately. But what is Kemba Walker at 30 plus years old with knee injuries? You know, what is a guy that's taking up that much? So, you know, I think once you get to that area, you're in that kind of middle area of it's a question mark and it depends how you can move on from them if you do decide to. And there's a large chunk of this roster that I think fits into this middle area. And then there's kind of a bottom area where it's we've seen enough of semi, you know, Taco, Tremont, two-way guys is what it is. Uh, Carson Edwards will probably still be here just because he has that guaranteed contract, but he's definitely someone that's very easily thrown into a trade here as we head to the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, the one thing I'm kind of okay with is running it back with Kemba under the premise that they keep Fournier because the the development of the two of those learning to play um, off of each other and the way they've been pushing each other's game to a different type of level and providing that spacing and penetration when sharing the floor, I think that I kind of want their but their contracts tied mutually exclusively to each other. I want them both there or neither of them there. There's not a world at the moment where I'm happy with one because of what we've seen flourish in such a short period of time between the two of them. So I'm okay with that. And I understand completely that Evan Fournier needs to be re-signed because you gave up the TPE and the optic using that and then losing that. Just uh, They're not worth thinking about because right now you can say, we got Evan Fournier for Gordon Hayward. And that's a downgrade in terms of a player, but it's also an upgrade in terms of fit because Fournier, yeah, I agree with that. that Hayward gave you, but without the required usage rate, without the required touches. And it just fits more seamlessly. As you said, it wasn't the sexy option, but it seems to be the correct option. So I understand re-signing Fournier, but I do think that Fournier has found a way to play alongside and off of Kemba that we've actually started to see the best version of Kemba. So I I like those two being mutually exclusively tied to each other. Um, For me, if you want to move on from Grant, I completely understand. I see there's a lot of potential there, but it's time to, you know, it's time to be very, very callous in the way that you build the remainder of this team. So Cornette, um, as much as it pains me to say at this moment in time, keep Neesmith over Romeo if you have to. Ooh, wow. I think, Adam, are you okay, man? I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure I'd hear those words come out of your mouth. <laughs> I mean, I'm still against it. I think that Romeo needs to work on his ball handling playmaking this offseason and put himself in a position to be that backup guard, be the, the ball handler that they need off that bench because that's where he's going to excel long term. Right now, we're not seeing it, and I, I just think that that's partly Brad not trusting him. That's partly Brad tr- seeing what else is in the cupboard right now because, hey, you need to know every option you've got available. The playing's no joke, and these teams that you're going to be coming up against are no joke. Uh, the Pacers, I'm scared. I, I think the Pacers are a good team, a really mm-hmm. good team. Sabonis so has been putting up some ridiculous numbers recently. Miles Turner's no joke. The Celtics struggle when playing against... Um, mobile bigs like what the Pacers have, you know. Uh, Then you look at the Hornets that are one of the most offensively gifted coach teams in the league in terms of um, James Borrego is a fantastic coach. Lamelo, who Hayward, whoever it may be there. 
And then there's one more team. That, is it Washington? It's Washington, right? Washington's the 10th seed right now. There's a, a very, very outside chance the Bulls could could come in and grab that that 10 seed, which for them, my God, this, their season's been a disaster going all in on Vucevic, and now they're likely to lose that lottery pick in that trade. So that's, that's turned out to be a, a horrible disaster for them. So right now, at the time of recording, I'm not sure if there's games tonight. I haven't checked because I've kind of just been focused on the Celtics today. But as far as I'm aware... The Hornets and the Pacers are tied for that eighth seed, right? Uh, which, which means at the moment we do not know whether that game one of the plane at seven and eight is going to be against Charlotte or Indiana. Correct. Person, with the with, with the caveat, the Hornets do hold the tiebreaker against the Pacers, so they at least have the inside track to that game. Who do you fear more? Honestly, I I fear the Hornets, and and I'll tell you why. Part of it's if you've been keeping up on, you know, some of the updates around the Pacers and their coaching staff, they don't, as much as we may not have proper on-court chemistry, it's nothing compared to whatever's going on behind the scenes in Indiana. That seems to be a disaster and a team that, you know, you don't usually hear too many teams revitalizing their season amongst a mutiny against their head coach. So, you know, just for that simple reason, and they've been a little bit banged up. Uh, I know Miles Turner's been banged up a little bit. Brogdon's been banged up a little bit. If they were healthy, I think the Pacers would easily be, if they were healthy and there wasn't all of this weirdness surrounding their coaching situation, I think the answer would easily be the Pacers. Uh, But for me, it's the Hornets. And it's just because, you know, if you think back to a couple of weeks ago, when we came out and played them on a Sunday matinee, and they just they just straight up came up with with more energy, more focus than us. It wasn't an X's and O's thing. I think you know. I think we talked about that at one point. It wasn't X's and O's. There was no strategy that you know they outwitted us. As good of a coach as Borrego is, as you mentioned, they just came out with this fight in them that the Celtics didn't have. And the Celtics have had so many nights like that that you know you would think once again you would think that once the play in, which is technically you know a playoff type scenario, but we talked a week ago about how Brad Stevens said the playoffs have started and we've, we've seen four straight losses. So there's no indication that, that that guarantees the Celtics will show up for that game. And LaMelo's back. He wasn't there the last two games that we played them. Hayward, TBD, I don't think I've seen anything that indicates he'll play in a play-in type scenario as early as next week. I believe it's Tuesday or Wednesday when that game would take place. But you know, Terry Rozier, he's scary Terry. He ain't scared. You know, he's been in these moments just as Jason Tatum, you know, and some of these Marcus Smart, some of these other guys on the Celtics have. He was right there with them. Terry Rozier is not afraid of the moment. He's not afraid to come out guns a-blazing. Is that going to work out? I don't know. If you catch him on the right night, it certainly can. He's had a great year. So I think the Hornets have a little bit of that, you know, chip on the shoulder. We got nothing to lose. And they're, they're a team that just has a lot of young guys that seem to like each other, seem to play well together. And so I think if there's anyone that has a little bit of, you know, team unity out of those two, out of the Hornets and Pacers, I think it's the Hornets. And I think they're the ones that I would be a little bit nervous about coming into Boston and maybe springing an upset over the Celtics. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I completely agree. If you look at the way the Hornets roster is constructed and the way that they can go five out a legitimate five out offense where everyone on that floor can stretch you can score can penetrate off the dribble and then they can also go big with Biombo and there's some ex-Celtics on there as you say Rogier's there Brad Wanamaker's there if Hayward does decide that he wants to risk all of eternity on this one game then he (laughs) can be there too but just points to prove is basically what I'm getting at there's there's scores to settle. And I just think that 
when you look at the way the Hornets play and the pace that they play with, and then look at where the Celtics' weaknesses have been defensively in terms of penetration, in terms of pressuring the perimeter, everything Boston are struggling to do on the defensive end is where Charlotte excels. That's exactly what they do great. They score freeze fast in transition and they can attack the rim off penetration. So I think that it's matchups makes games and matchups make series and whatever it makes to be wants to be a matchups generally the reason why things go good or mm-hmm. bad. And while I don't think they've got the ability to contain Tatum if he decides like right that's it I'm going supernova up in here. I think that's a completely different story. But everything that we've seen from Tatum tells us that he, as we spoke about previously, something needs to trigger that in him. And I think if anyone's going to do it, it'll be Rogier. He likes to get heated. <laughs> but there, there is a world where they nullify that, they nullify Tatum, or they nullify Kemba, or they nullify Kemba and Fournier and force Tatum to beat you. You live with one guy going off. We mm-hmm. saw that in the playoffs last year against Embiid. The Celtics just nullified everyone else and lived with 50-point nights from Embiid, essentially. And you, they still win because one guy cannot score enough points to put you over the top. So I am concerned about playing Charlotte. I think the matchups are really... Um, kind of defensive matchups for Boston kind of favor Charlotte at the moment. And then you kind of have to look on and say, right... How do we feel about this? Is there a world where we want Boston to lose that first game and then win against? So, so it's seven plays eight. The winner gets the seventh seed. Nine play ten. The winner of that game play the loser of seven versus eight for the eighth seed. We, there is a world where we'd prefer Boston to get the eighth seed, right? I mean, I'm not being crazy here. Ah, that's a tough one. And, you know, there's there's two parts to that. Number one, I'm not entirely sure because I kind of expect the Wizards to act. Let's say everything holds the way it does and we play the Hornets and the Pacers play the Wizards. I would expect the Wizards the way that that they've played over the last month, month and a half, whatever it's been. I would expect them to win that game. And if I'm the Celtics, I want no part of of Westbrook and Beal right now. I know Beal got banged up the other night as uh, as Kent Bazemore alluded to trying to chase Steph Curry in the in the scoring title. But uh, but you know if Beal's playing in that game and he's healthy and the way Westbrook's playing I, as a Celtics fan, I want no part of that. If we're really trying to get into the playoffs, you know, getting upset by Charlotte and then having Westbrook like a madman come into town with Beal, I don't necessarily want a part of that or feel great about it. But then to the point that, that you're making or alluding to is that the one seed is going to be the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, I feel like I've seen a lot of a lot, a lot of Celtic fans out there who are saying, give me Philly. I want Philly. We've beat Philly. We've got Philly's number. And, you know, I feel like Lee Corso here. Not so fast, my friend. I, I don't think that this Philly team is anything resembling the Philly teams that we've beaten two of the last three postseasons. And I believe it's nine out of the last 10 regular season games. Philly's actually beaten Celtics, which is a really weird, you know, re- just a really weird stat given the fact that we've eliminated them in two of the three, two out of the three of the last years. But this Philly team, I think would handily take care of the Celtics handily. I think it's a sweep or a gentleman sweep at best hope for the Celtics. And even with Jalen Brown, it would have been an uphill battle without Jalen Brown. I think it's insurmountable. That team is long. That team is big. That team is a lot of things that are not good for the Celtics. They completely shut down and almost negate all of Kemba Walker. They're, you know, and then Embiid, you, you even referenced this a minute ago. Last year, no Ben Simmons. Embiid dominated usually the first two quarters, maybe the first two and a half quarters. And then he ran out of gas and he'd sit outside and, and shoot threes. Embiid's built different. 
this year. Embiid is in shape. Embiid's playing like a monster. If he's healthy, there's zero answer. Not that anyone really has an answer for Embiid, if, if we're being honest. But the Celtics certainly don't. And I, I think that Celtics losing to Philly is one of my worst-case scenarios because of the way a lot of Celtic fans have treated playing them on Twitter. And I just don't think it's the same. I agree. I think this year's uh, Philly are a completely different animal. Uh, they've added that shooting, which has gave them space to actually work in the lanes. I think Tobias Harris has figured out his role on that team. He's had a good, great year, way better than what we've seen in previous years when going up against Tobias. The reason I kind of alluded to this was because you're basically in between a rock and a hard place right now. The only options you have are win the first game against the Hornets uh, or the Pacers, depending on how those chips fall. And then go and face Brooklyn and see how that goes. You know, let's see how it goes against Brooklyn. Which just got James Harden back. Yeah, let's just see how that works out. Or we see the Celtics lose against Charlotte or Indiana. And then we see them overcome the team that you want no part in, in terms of Washington. And then you can see how that works out against Philly. I think what we've kind of got to accept at this point is, there is a world where Boston upset things and shock the shock the universe and say, nope, Philadelphia or Brooklyn, we know you're paying ridiculous amounts of money. We know your rosters have been great all year, but this is the playoffs. This is where we shine. You guys are going to bow and the Celtics somehow grind out a seven-game win. <laughs> There's a world where that happens. I believe that. I know that. There's a universe in which time, in which point that is going to work. I just don't think it's the universe that we're in. Yeah, this kind of feels like um, that scene in Avengers Endgame where Tony Stark is, Iron Man's asking Doctor Strange, you know, do like he goes through all the various scenarios of how this may play out. And he plays out, I think it's like 14 million different scenarios. And he asks him, how many do we win? One. There's one scenario. That's kind of what I'm envisioning right now when it comes to the prospects of, of the Celtics going up against the, you know, the Nets and the Sixers right now, which. Do you know what's encouraging? Go ahead. Please, please, I need some encouragement when it comes, when it comes one to this scenario. Matter. That one scenario ended up coming true. They were they, they were that one, but someone had to die. And I think <laughs> for no one to have to die to win a playoff game, do you know? Maybe, I mean? maybe Jalen Brown getting injured and being out for the rest of the season. Maybe that's oh, the like equivalent a, of, a, it's of, a of a roster death. <laughs> metaphorically speaking. I mean, look... At the end of the day, I think that a lot of people are coming to terms with, hey, this is probably not going to be very fun in terms of it's going to be a lot of losing. It's going to be stretches of absolute dominance for opposing teams. But the Celtics have done this before. They've been here before. They've been down a core piece going in with their backs against the wall. And I've always truly believed you see the best of Brad Stevens as a coach and a motivator when they're the underdog. And when there's something to actually fight for. And I don't know why we haven't seen that this week, because that's going to be the first people thing, thing people who listening say is, well, if that's the case, where's that been this week? Honestly, mm-hmm. I thought they would have re- reacted better to Jalen going down than what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that if Kemba Walker plays against Cleveland, that game doesn't end up the way it did. If Robert Williams is there, it doesn't end up the way it did. There's only so much you can do when you're relying on Tremont Waters to be your starting point guard. There's only so, you know what I mean? Like You're kind of limited. When, you, when you're giving Carson Edwards consistent minutes off the bench, yeah. you know you've hit a bad spot. Things just aren't working out right now. Hopefully, with a bit of luck, coming into the playoffs, we'll see a bit more of a whole team, a bit more of a whole picture. We can condense those rotations. And there is a world where it happens. Am I being optimistic? Hell yeah. 
Do I think it's going to happen? <laughs> no chance. But we have to at least at least acknowledge the fact that Vegas are taking bets. Vegas will let you bet hey. on Boston coming out the series if they're that's taking... a nice little return. <laughs> that's a yeah, dude. You want to set your mortgage up, send your kids to college five times over. That's how you do it because it's a long shot. Yeah, but but you are right though. The the point that you're making about Brad Stevens and when he does his best coaching is kind of when his backs are against the wall, when he's undermanned, he's the underdog role, you know, typically doesn't have the talent, which I think is is something that I, I don't know really know what to make of that exactly, but when he has lesser talent, he finds the way to bring to bring more out of it than than what you normally could. But it's with some of I guess maybe we'll have to see what happens going forward with these talented teams. How does he then do that with them, bring them to that next level? And and I don't really know what the answer is to that. But given that scenario, you know, in six out of the eight seasons Brad's been here, I feel like that's been most of the season of what he's done is taking guys that are typically, you know, overlooked. They're undermanned as a complete team. And he's brought them to another level that a lot of people did not see coming. All of the talking heads had the Celtics out in various points when they made these conference finals runs well before that. And, you know, that speaks a lot, I think, to Brad Stevens and is a huge reason why I don't believe this season should represent Brad Stevens going forward and why it's it would be a ludicrous move, in, in my opinion, to move on from him at, at this point. So you're right. there There is a chance that Brad Stevens rallies the troops. And why that hasn't happened to this point, I don't know. I'm with you. I can't answer that. I, I don't know why we haven't seen that that same response, that same fight. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen. And it's been an area where Brad Stevens has shown to have strength in that area and bringing that out of this team. So who's to say it won't happen? And who's to say maybe that play-in game, getting a little bit of true playoff atmosphere. We've said the playoffs have started. Brad Stevens has said it. But, you know, we all know technically that isn't true. With the play-in, there's no more technicality. It's here. It's starting. You win or you go home. And that's then a very stark reality that hits you in the face. And maybe that kind of is a wake-up call and, and, and changes things a bit. How much do you think if the Celtics do kind of figure things out and they do find a way to progress into a second round or beyond, mm-hmm. how much does that actually feed into the narrative that Brad can only coach underdog teams and that he can't handle that full-strength superstar roster? I think that while right now the world is calling for Brad Stevens' head anyway, <laughs> and somehow if he finds success in this playoffs – wouldn't that actually give the people wanting him fired more ammunition than if he failed? Do you see what I'm like? I, I see, I see where you're going, and, and, and I can't stop laughing because I hadn't even thought of this as a possibility as we're kind of going through this exercise. But now that you say it, it you're, you're totally right. The people, But at the same time, the people that are calling for him to be fired would then also kind of need to shut up for a little bit because Brad Stevens is now proving his worth, but it's also in a way proving their point that he wasn't coaching up to the, to the level with the talent. And, and I don't know, I have no idea what to make of that. It's a great point. At a long term, I, I'm, I'm literally at a loss for words to figure out how I would feel or what that would mean if Brad Stevens can then take this underman team and somehow pull a miracle upset and, and get into the second or third round with this team. But it does fit that narrative, and, and I don't know what to tell you, Adam. I don't have a good answer for that one. This is this is the, the weird thoughts that go on in my head when I'm discussing these type of things. It's just like, does, does avenues to 
punish a guy for succeeding just the same as there is avenues for punishing a guy for failing. And I find it really intriguing to explore both and see where they lead. And this one kind of leads me to a poor Brad, man. Yeah, it, this is a, this is an oddly brilliant devil's advocate thought right here where it completely flips everything on its head. And I'm, I'm, I got to be honest, Adam, I'm very impressed by this take right here. I have my moments, man. I have my moments. I try. I try. What can I say? Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on as well, and this is something when I say I kind of like go through trains of thoughts and I see, I kind of play conversations over in my brain and I act as both sides because I have nothing better to do. I've been working from home for 14 months. Um, that's going to come to an end soon. I'm not happy. If anybody wants to give me money not to work, then thank you. Um, jokes aside, if you look at the way the Celtics have played since Jalen went down, with a very conscious effort of playing up-tempo basketball, attacking straight off pushing. Uh, if anyone was in my um, locker room room on Wednesday night, then this discussion took place there as well. Pushing the pace and really trying to get teams caught out on transition or not allowing them to set up their half-court defense. And when it's in Kemba's hands, Fournier's hands, Pritchett's hands, it works Everything ticks well. Jane, um, sorry, Jason plays off ball a little bit. He finds lanes to the hoop so he can just operate as a play finisher, which is where he excels. Um, Jalen, Jason, why do I keep saying Jalen? Jason Tatum <laughs> has came, came into this league as a play finisher and scorer. That is where his number one requisite skill set is. And now everything's slowly being unpacked and they're developing more aspects to him. But if you need to get the best out of Tatum for the rest of this year, then you need to put him back in positions to just be an unconscious scorer. And that's putting him off ball. If you look at when he plays on ball and he's in the one asked to bring the ball up court, that's when that pace falls off a cliff. And that's when everything slows down because he's more methodical. He's not at a point where his playmaking comes naturally and unconsciously and everything is recognized and he's not there yet. So do we mm -hmm. want Boston to get to a point now where Tatum isn't the one running the initiation of the offense. He's the one reaping the benefits from somebody else's in, um, creation that have been creating at a high level for their entire careers this far. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I think that's absolutely the way the Celtics need to play if they're going to make any type of noise here going forward. And especially where we don't really know what's going to happen with Rob Williams on a day-to-day -day basis. And Brad, in his interview with Scalp uh, before the Cavs game, talked a little bit about this. Where you know, when Rob Williams was fully healthy, they were kind of using him in that Al Horford type role to keep the ball moving in that half-court offense. You don't have him anymore, and or you haven't had him for for much of the last several games and so without that that changes the dynamic of what that half court offense looks like and putting the ball in Tatum's hands like that like you mentioned before where you know he's a little bit a little bit more methodical it gets a little Carmelo Anthony-esque you know then that's just and then playmaking yet is not where his skill set is at for us to have the most optimal success playing with that pace keeping the ball in Fournier and Kemba's hands and even Marcus's hands when it slows down into the into the half court I think is going to be the way to go and then on the back end trying to get Tatum in favorable matchups on the back end whether that's with off ball screens getting him into the you know low to mid post maybe finding ways to dribble and drive and catch him in the corner I think those are going to be the best ways that you optimize what does Jason Tatum does you said best score that's that's the main thing that Tatum's gonna need to be for this team to have success over this last little stretch is just be 
a hell bent scorer where he's scoring 30 plus a night. That's 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 the path of the Celtics to success is 30 points from Tatum efficiently without him having to be that main ball handler because he's just not there yet. I agree, man. And you hit on a great point. Running those off-ball screening actions for him while his off-ball is going to be immense for getting him into scoring opportunities. And I keep coming back to this. If you go back to when we, um, the Celtics played San Antonio the other week mm-hmm. and you watch how they screen off-ball for DeRozan to get DeRozan in motion going downhill because DeRozan's unconscious from mid-range. He's solid around the rim. What they do is they run like a step-up back screen. So a step-up screen is when you screen facing towards the halfway line, the half-court line. And a back screen is when you screen a guy's back. So you step up and then you back screen. A step-up wouldn't be at the guy's back, which is why you have to call it a step-up back screen. I digress. Um, (laughs) But running that type of screen right there, when Tatum is off-ball, creates such an angle for him to receive the ball in motion and he's already got enough steam ahead ahead of steam going downhill that if he doesn't score he gets fouled those are going to be the options that the team has foul him let him score maybe just maybe he'll rise up and drain one in your face and draw the end one there anyway but you're opening up his game to be exactly what his primal skill set is that is what he is he is an unconscious assassin so you put him in those areas to be the superstar scorer that he is and those step up back screens um and then obviously if it's in transition setting those drag screens so basically what i'm saying is i want some variants i want to see a variation of screen set for this guy i want to see them diversify but simplify the offense a little bit stop waiting for the half court sets to kind of half court defense to set and then attack attacking movement get people in motion with these step up back screens they ran one for tatum yesterday against cleveland and i'm pretty sure tatum got a nice little finger roll, a nice jelly finish off it because of the motion that it created for him. If they don't do that and they still force Tatum into this playmaking role, I don't think that the world that we're living in is the one chance. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think Dr. Strange is lying at us at this point. So uh, yeah. th- there's, it, there's a lot that goes into this. It's more than just Tatum. And obviously it's a collective. But you touch on Rob Williams. How much do you think his value is being hurt right now? around the league to the Celtics organization itself for yet another injury layoff. Yeah, it makes it really tough. You know, I, I asked you the other day, I hopped on to the to the locker room because I'm curious to know, you know, we're, we're heading into this is the end of Rob Williams' third year. His his last year of his rookie contract will be this, this upcoming fourth season, this next season. And so technically he's contract extension eligible going into this offseason. But, but what is that? You know, I like I, I don't I, you know, it's hard to think about if it benefits the Celtics because you can get a probably a really good discount on a guy who when healthy is a great player. But, you, you know, does that then make him harder to trade? Because like you're saying, his value around the league, if he's never on the court, you know, one of the things you don't want to do when you have these two young stars with the, like the Jays are is then saddle them with bad contracts that you're waiting for that. What if? Well, what if Rob Williams? what if for the next three or four years we keep saying for the Jays, they need help. Well, what if, or wait for, wait for Rob Williams to get healthy. And you can't do that year to year. You need guys that are going to be reliable. So right now, Rob Williams being out again is, is pretty devastating as we head into the offseason. When you think about if him being a potential trade chip, 
his value is going to be a lot lower than it was trending towards in the middle of the season when he was playing so well as a starter. I believe the Celtics are 10 and three with him in the lineup, you know, him with the other main players on this team have very good statistics, but it's such a small sample size that I can't imagine any team is looking around the league. Like, Ooh, how do we pry Rob Williams away? And then we add his injury woes to our plate of what's going to happen next. So this is, you know, it, it makes the whole offseason a little bit more murky because there's just not a lot of value on this team when it comes to the trade route as far as upgrading this roster. And Rob Williams being hurt only hurts what, what the Celtics do have as far as roster flexibility going forward. So, I mean, to answer your question, it's, it's pretty devastating from an offseason perspective of how the value of Rob Williams is viewed around the league. doesn't mean that Rob Williams is going to hurt for, for the Celtics to hold on to, but I don't think they're going to be able to do much with him from a value standpoint come the offseason for the way other teams are looking at him. Yeah, and even for them as like an internal building block, and that's what Rob's been seeing as when Rob is playing and he's healthy and he puts together a good stretch, it's quite easy to envision him as the internal building block and center of the future and the value that he holds to the organization. And then you look at, it's a similar aspect. It's a similar outlook as if you were trading him. It's, we know what he brings to the table. We know the amount of, how can I put it? We know the way he raises our ceiling while, mm-hmm. when healthy. The problem is, we don't know how often he's going to be healthy and how long those bouts of health are going to last. And for me, I understand that turf toe isn't something that's going to be a reoccurring injury. It's not something that's going to be something you have to monitor for the next two, three years. But the knee issues he's got are, the back issues he's shown will reoccur. This is a guy that plays with legit explosiveness. Anything that sounds like it could be um, a degrading injury where it's just going to slowly get worse over time, those are big concerns, big red flags. and that kind of makes me think, hey, there needs to be some form of movement to bring in another big that might, which should mean saying bye to Tristan Thompson at the same time, just because Rob Williams just, you you can't have that level of trust that he's going to be there in the games that you need and the games that really matter because you don't know how healthy he is. And, And you mentioned the explosiveness and the athleticism and how some of his injuries may curtail that. And, you know, that's critical because Rob Williams is 6'8". You know, he's a guy that every time I watch him play, he's so long, he's so athletic. He doesn't feel 6'8 to me when he's out there. But in reality, he is. You know, Tristan Thompson's 6'9". And I think that's something that as the season has gone on, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, you know, because it sounds like in your mind you're kind of targeting a big man as being a priority for the offseason for the Celtics here. You know, is it a priority that we actually get a big man in here that's legit a big man. I mean, right now, Jason Tatum, which depending on if he has shoes on or what report you believe in, he might be 6'10", it might be 6'9". Jason Tatum is more often than not the tallest guy that we have on the court, save for Taco. You know, save for Taco, it's going to be Jason Tatum or Tristan Thompson is the tallest guy out there. So is there something to it to actually having a legit 7-footer, a 6'11 guy, a true, a true big man? Because like you said, Rob Williams, we can't count on his availability. If he starts to lose even a little bit of that athleticism, you know, those injuries start to pile up, that's his game. That's his game. And so without that, he's just a 6'8 center that's not going to bring you what you need. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that center position and what the Celtics could be looking for and and how having a true big man could be something they look at? 
Yeah, my first, my initial reaction whenever I hear somebody say the Celtics need a true big man is always to kind of push back a little bit and say, what do you define as a true big man in the modern NBA era? Because what I define as a true big man in this era isn't what the the label of true big man kind of explains. You you say true big man to me, I think back to the basket guy, um, rim defense, 6'11 to 7'2, can't shoot a lick from anywhere outside the two feet. I think a Drummond. That's who I think of. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. But <laughs> yeah. no, what, what I more mean when I say a true big man is just I'm I'm absolutely just talking from a height perspective, from just having a true seven footer, six eleven type guy. I, I think what that looks like, like you said, in the modern game, there's a couple different variations of what that could be that might work. But I do think there is something when you look around at almost every team that's not, you know, the Warriors and Draymond Green, they for the most part have a legit 6'10 to 7 foot or above guy, as we're starting to see now with with mm-hmm. the Embiid's and Jokic's and such. They all have a legit 6'10 or, or more guy that's that's patrolling the paint in some form or another. And usually they're more their skill sets are more modern, but their height is still, you know, something that's that's important in having that presence around the rim. And you know, I don't think Tristan Thompson has that. Jason Tatum certainly doesn't have that. Rob Williams, because of his athleticism, does have a presence around the rim, but if he loses that then what is he? So that, that's more what I'm saying when I say traditional big man. I'm only really talking to the the actual height perspective, and then the rest of it can be varied depending on you know what your taste is with, when it comes to big man. Yeah, I mean, I agree there. I think that that's why they liked um, taking a, a longer look at Luke Cornett. I think that um, he's got legit height, legit rim presence in terms of just being around the rim and altering shots, and he can hit the free. The only downside to Luke Cornett is he lacks the mobility to be a viable option beyond that third string center. That's where his biggest downside to me is, is he's just not very mobile, and that seems to be a very normal attribute for these larger-than-life type of centers. A guy who I think is ideal right now for Boston, who I, who I genuinely think fits perfectly, is Kelly Olynyk? I think that Kelly Olynyk. I mean, honestly, I'm being serious. Bring him back. Bring him back. Yeah. No, he's he's had a great year to be honest. He was, you know, it was probably tough for the Heat to give him up, but you know, when they thought they were getting the upside with Oladipo, it made sense. Who's now now out for the season, but he was having a very good year for the Heat. I think that he'd be an amazing guy to bring back. I think he gives you a little bit of playmaking, knows how to play defense, can stretch the floor, is a little bit crafty in the way he dees up on guys, gets a bit physical. As a secondary big coming off the bench and somebody that can step in when Robert's not, excuse me, not available, I think that that's a really good option to have. Um, outside of him, I like Jonas Valanciunas. You can see the sort of big I'm going for. Somebody that can dump, that can that can board up, that can run that delay where, you know, you like to keep the ball moving side to side with your big at the top of the perimeter and that can stretch the defense out a little bit because you have to respect their three-point conversion rate. It's that type of big that I'm looking for. Size with shooting is exactly the, uh, I think that's what Danny Ainge put it before mm-hmm. the trade deadline. And that's exactly what I want for a center is size with shooting. Yeah, you mentioned Jonas. That's that's exactly the type of guy that I had in in, in my type of mind was, you know, a second almost like a second tier level big man but that fits that kind of mold Jonas or you know a Nurkic something something along those lines you know obviously those guys are, are really good and they're hard to come by and I don't I don't believe either are free agents I could be wrong I haven't looked into it so I don't want to I don't want to stick to that in case someone wants to call me out on it but but those are the type of guys that I think could be really valuable and you know a, a 
an example is kind of like with Vucevic. I think that's maybe what Danny Ainge envisioned is something along those lines of a fit. And Vucevic is also a great passer to go along with it, as we saw just a couple nights ago when he put a triple-double on the Celtics. You know, so I think that's in the pursuit of, of Nikola Vucevic was along the lines of what Danny Ainge was thinking. Like I said, making that happen, that's going to be easier said than done than you and I sitting here on a podcast and talking about it. But I think that would be the ideal fit is someone along the lines of, of Jonas Valanciunas. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that um, there was a big miss during the draft last year. There was a couple of names in last year's draft that were big men that I thought would be able to fit right into what the Celtics needed. Uh, Xavier Tillman was a guy that I was quite high on who gives you size with shooting that can rebound a little bit. A guy who drafted high up in the, in the draft, um, was it Jalen Smith? Uh, yeah, I believe he went to the to Phoenix. Phoenix. Is that what you're he talking about? Yeah. Phoenix, yeah. I always go to say Jalen Rose just because of my age. So I have to double <laughs> there. But hey, Jaylen... he, hey, he invented the name, so. <laughs> Jalen Smith wears the Hor- Horace Grant kind of head goggles, but he's shooting, size with shooting. And I understand that bigs take a lot longer than most other players to develop in this league, but it would, and you would have had to move up to get him. So I, I get that that one isn't, as realistic an option as what Tillman was, but mm-hmm. it's still an option that I think that should have been explored. If you needed cost-controlled bigs, if you don't want to commit too much cap sheet to a big man, then you need to find one like Tillman that's going to fall towards the end of the draft or the end of the first round or early second, where that contract is cost-controlled for multiple years, but he still fits that need. And I think that that's where the Celtics went wrong, and now they're going to have to pay a little bit for a big man. Because at the minute, the rotation they've got just clearly doesn't work. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. The roster flexibility is is really difficult with this team. And, you know, I don't. I think definitely for sure this is going to be an area the Celtics cannot come back next year and have it be Rob Williams, Tristan Thompson, and, and, and Luke Cornett. That, that can't be your your three. Something in there needs to change. And it's somewhat ironic because it was it was really Tice. Slide, slide out Cornette and put in Tice. And that's kind of the, the three big men that we've had. And, and it's not that – and this is the tough part. It's not that any of them are bad. Like, they're, they're all guys that I think are suitable NBA players that all have distinct s- skill sets. But for what the Celtics are missing to really take the next leap, and when you're thinking of being a true team in contention – Rob Williams, if healthy, maybe he's the answer, but if that's a huge question mark. And if that can't be answered, I don't think any of those might be the answer of, of what the Celtics truly need. So that will be on Danny Ainge to, to try and figure out how to make some type of, of movement with that in the offseason. Yeah, I think if Rob Williams isn't the answer, I, I don't think that Tristan Thompson fits well in the schemes that this team runs. I think that you need a guy that can operate and be a threat to score from free because that creates the open lanes for everybody else to be able to manipulate and drag defenses one way or the other with their movement having thompson in that lane clogs everything and slows down everything that the team does it needs to be uh, i think scout touched on this about two weeks ago you need to penetrate kick penetrate kick penetrate kick until you can find a lane where thompson just basically isn't at the bottom of it and it's tough so i don't think he fits very well I don't think Cornet fits well due to that mobility. Uh, Rob Williams, as we say, is going to be the the X factor yet again. But how many more seasons are we going to be willing to say that Rob Williams is the X factor on this team ceiling before it's just too late? Yeah, my my best guess is for the off season that you'll see a lot of well, you see a lot of fans, I'm sure, firing up the trade machine. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some type of package of Marcus Smart and Tristan Thompson 
to just because together they equal out to about a 21 22 million dollar you know salary cap hit so i could see the two of them being packaged in proposed deals and maybe you have to add in draft picks or maybe rob williams is a part of that as well to, to if you're really going to try and make trades with this roster as is, I think those are going to be three names that you'll see, you know, kind of rumored and bantered about a lot are going to be Marcus, Tristan, and Rob Williams. And I'm okay with that at this point. I'm not great and I'm not like ecstatic about that. I think that you're losing two pieces that could be legitimate core pieces to a championship team in Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. But I also think that the mistakes of the past need to be rectified. And unfortunately, it's going to be a couple of these guys that We've grown accustomed to, we've grown fond of. It's going to be those that have to move on to rectify the mistakes of the past and using too many draft picks too many years instead of consolidating or moving out and wheeling and dealing a bit more. Mm-hmm. So I get it. And I'm okay with that. I mean, first thing, first things first, let's see what happens against... Um, against Charlotte? Well, first of all, you got to get through. Um, you got to get through Minnesota, <laughs> through Minnesota, and, uh, New York. Yeah, New York. yeah. We, yeah, we still yeah. got to wrap up. The, uh, we, there is that whole little regular season thing that we do have to wrap up first. <laughs> yeah, let's wrap that up. Let's see what happens in the playing, and then we, you know we're going to talk a lot more about the playing, and we're going to have to start looking at some draft coverage in the next couple of days because it's yeah, something I, we need I, to pay attention to. I will say something. Something to keep in mind here. You know, if you look out west, the playing is going to be Steph Curry versus LeBron James. So we're in good company. You know, if that makes you feel better, you know, we're in the same tournament that features Steph Curry and LeBron James. So that can't be all bad. Well, I'm cheering for Steph Curry every day now. <laughs> I'm a huge Steph Curry fan as is. And I'll be honest, I, nothing would make me happier, even though then the Lakers would just probably destroy whoever they play in the 8-9 game or the consolation game. I, I still don't understand the, the verbiage and the wording with the playing tournament yet, but nothing would make me happier than Steph Curry going full Steph Curry on the Lakers and LeBron James and upsetting them at home in the first ever play-in game. Nothing would make me happier besides the Celtics win. I guarantee if LeBron gets knocked out in that first game that he's going to push so hard for the play-in to be scrapped. Oh, he's already like, making a push. He's already made com- public comments about yeah, it. Yeah, well, you, were ha- you thought it was great for the league until it involved you. Now it involves you. Yeah. So, like, you know, it doesn't work like that, bro. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, exactly. And you know, if he was in the five seed position, he wouldn't say a peep about it. No, of course not. But now he's like, oh, with the playing, we could lose. Oh, it's against Steph. Yeah, this needs to be cancelled. He was probably thinking, like, oh, we're going to have to play like Anthony Edwards and Ricky Rubio. We're going to sweep these guys. Well, it's Steph. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The NBA is going to be, you know, I think probably they would lean LeBron over Steph as far as who's going to get a favorable, a more favorable whistle in that game, just because the Lakers have a better shot of of being in the playoffs longer term than the Warriors. But that's a tough call. However, whoever loses, let's say the Lakers theoretically lose to the to the Warriors and they're playing Memphis or San Antonio in the, you know, in the, the eight seed take all game. Good luck to whoever's on the other side of that, you know, playing against the Lakers. They are going to get every single call in that game. There is no chance the NBA wants the Lakers losing to the Spurs in the eight-seed play-in game. I can see Greg Popovich just, like, Hadouken in someone off the sideline if that was the case. <laughs> like, Greg Popovich is, like, the quintessential coach, man. I, look, I just – I can sit here for hours and watch Greg Popovich talk to media because he's so funny and, like, so, like, brash. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure to leave that five-star written review. If you're not one to leave reviews, maybe you're on an Android or you're listening on Spotify, that's fine. Just make sure to tell everybody, hey, this show's awesome. The best way you can uh, recommend us is word of mouth anyway. My name's Adam Taylor. I'm joined by my friend, my compadre, my co-host, Mr. Will Weir. 
Will, why don't you let them know where they can find you, my guy? Yeah, man, as always, fun joining you here, Adam. Y'all can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, it's going to be at the handle at Wilbon13. That's W-I-L-L-B-O-N-1-3. Hit me up on there. Would love to do some more Celtics talk with y'all. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday. I'm not sure whether we're going to talk basketball or we're going to talk draft. I'm going to make a decision. It, we'll figure it out between now and then. Everybody have a great weekend. Stay safe. Let's try not to be too downhearted. This is just a blip in the grand scheme of Boston Celticsography. Catch you all soon. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.